and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Matthew Cause. Now, Matthew is the lead singer for the alternative band Nana Surf. Now, back in 96, their debut album, High Low, featured the song Popular. It was such a huge hit. We talk about the song, we talk about if it was difficult for Matthew to memorize the lyrics. High Low was produced by the Cars Rico Kasich. We discuss how that came about. We also talk about the comparisons the band received to another band around that time, Weezer. Their second album, The Proximity Effect, had a lot of drama between them and their record label, Elektra, resulting in the band being dropped after their second album. Matthew talks about the time he took off between the second album and the amazing third album, Let Go. Talk about some of the other songs the band has made, as well as their cover songs. Matthew really enjoyed his conversation. He's a really nice guy, and I hope you do as well. So, Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thanks for uh, having me over. Yeah. So, I used to work at my college radio station. I did uh, sports updates. So, the DJ would always let me pick a song after my sports updates to kind of start his show. And this was uh, the fall of 96. So, High Low came out in the summer, and, you know, Popular was you know, popular, so so to speak, at that point. But I, I went a different route because the station was playing that song a lot. I went with Icebox. Yeah, just talk a little bit about that song real quick. Uh, yeah, so um, Daniel wrote the the lyrics of that one, 
Um, and uh, yeah, what can I say about the music? I mean, the guitar is a bit like a lot of the stuff that I liked at the time. You know, we were really into, I mean, Sonic Youth was really the big deal at that point and had been for a few years and something about their kind of like, you know, clear but weird. Um, you know what I mean by clear? It's like they weren't a particularly muddy band. Right. But the the world that they were working in sonically and harmonically was kind of muddy, but in a, in a really good way, you know, like a stuck between um, major and minor, stuck between harmonic and dissonant, you know, just this kind of bittersweet, sweet spot. Um, and Blonde Redhead, too, who were a band who maybe sounded a little bit like Sonic Youth at first and then found their own identity. Chavez was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, they were, my, they were kind of my favorite band at the time. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about influences, but, you know, <laughs> I was probably more clearly a product of influences then, than, I guess, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully now. Um, and, yeah, you know, um, we were really into dynamics, you know, kind of on-off dynamics, which is something that's talked about a lot about music from that era and previous i.e. Pixies into, um, you know, the whole uh, commercial alternative world. A lot of it was like very binary, you know, quiet, loud, on, off, stop, start, that kind of stuff. Um, what else? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a sad song. It's like a sad relationship song about things not going so great. Um, we had a bunch of those. <laughs> like a lot of people right yeah is it easy i know there was daniel's song but is it easier to write at a point of like heartache depression than like being happy and being in a, a good relationship for you mm, i think it probably was easier then when things were a bummer um and probably easier for me now when things are happy you know because I think now, now it's mostly about energy. You know, I don't need the impetus to do it. I, I always love making music, but like it was more mysterious then. I mean, it's equally mysterious now in terms of like what to do once I'm sitting down, but the sitting down is less mysterious now. It's like, not only is it technically my, my job, um, but I know it's going to be a positive experience. Whereas back then, you know, it was a little hobby and I didn't know how it would go. And, and I probably had more imposter syndrome now. I don't have any less reason to, I, I probably had more imposter syndrome then. Right. Um, I have just as much reason to anybody does at any time, you know, like I have no idea what I'm doing, uh, but um, whatever, I, I'm getting into the weeds here just to <laughs> say, yeah, I think it was easier then because heartache etc is like can you know if you have somewhere where you put your energy and feelings then heartache is a gives you like blind drive to create something because you need to get it out of your system or you need to do something to um stop that hurt or or distract you from it you know 
Um, whereas now, um, it's more just about energy and feeling good and feeling good translates into energy and energy translates into uh, sitting down and doing what I love to do. You know, I have uh, ADD to a certain extent. And so um, being happy is a really good uh, counterbalance to ADD because the happier I am, the more, the more I clearly I remember what makes me happy, which <laughs> is working. Right. You know, um, for a long time in my 20s and 30s and into my 40s, um, I thought I was lazy because I'd spent a lot of time wasting time. And I found that very confusing because it didn't make sense. Like, how could I be lazy? I, I, I love working. And then it was such a relief to realize I'm not lazy, I'm anxious. Hmm. And that's easier because anxiety, I think, is easier to deal with. Because, you know, there are some tried and true, well-known things you can do and even just taking a walk, you know, all kinds of stuff. Whereas laziness, I found it seemed foreign to me. I didn't know what to do about it. Anyway, sorry, that answers probably not your question and probably answers questions you didn't ask. You know, what? it's a great answer nonetheless. So it's, it's really. So do you think then you kind of like now matured as a songwriter? As a person, yes. As a songwriter, who knows? <laughs> right right yeah but can you relate to those songs that you like you know that you wrote like 30 years ago yeah you know i can i find some of it kind of um yeah i find some of it kind of cringy hmm. you know um there's you know i think now if part of me if some impetus in me is I could qualify as, um, <laughs> I, I can't think of any other word but pathetic, you know, right. like some part of me is like really like not trying hard enough to just buck up or whatever, or self-pitying or something like that. At this point, I, I, I know to hide it because I don't even want to see it. I, I don't want to write it down. I don't want to sing it. I don't want to... Mm you know, I want to move on. I want to, I want to get past it. Whereas then, you know, I think at much younger, it's like, I have an emotion. I'm going to express it. And, and there's no, there's no committee going like, well, how do you feel about sharing that? I, I, I didn't care. And in fact, of course, there was the thrill of, the thrill of sharing something uh, weird and, 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 uh, and cringy. I remember um, two things. It was either, Hollywood, the song on High Low, where I go, cool like the stars, sexy people in bars, which is a really cheesy line, except except I meant it, you know. And then I remember writing, I think it was Amateur, off the Proximity Effect. Um, you said I should get professional help, but it always makes me cry. I know I'm just an amateur, but I've got to try. I think my roommate at the time, I was like saying that to myself. He's like, you're not actually going to, you're not actually going to sing that or right. record that are you and i remember feeling like in encouraged by that i was like wow if that's what you think i'm yes i'm definitely gonna do it because i enjoyed it's not shock for shock value but i thought if 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 that's if the nakedness of that is notable to somebody maybe that's that's yeah. means something it's, that's interesting you know I'm 
triggering an emotion you know yeah. rather than positive or negative it's triggering something so at least yeah you, yeah you have that there for sure absolutely early on did you guys kind of get compared to weezer well we did definitely um you know with i get it with reason but too much so the reasons would be um rick Kasich, first of all right um I kind of similarity I, were, I, 
I wore my reading glasses sometimes on stage, maybe because I was reading the popular lyrics or maybe because it was just one more level of armor uh, in a place where I was felt, you know, vulnerable or something. So maybe there was like a look. Um, and then there was like funny video and uh, I can see popular as being in, in the in the Weezer wheelhouse. I mean, ironically, and I'm just thinking this now for the first time, I think we sounded a little bit more like them a little bit later, <laughs> but were compared to them at first when I don't think, High Low and the Blue album, I don't think, aside from popular, I don't, I don't see if they have a lot in common at all. But, you know, I think they're great, it, but it was frustrating. I, it, it, we didn't enjoy that comparison particularly. Right. Because it felt reductive, you know. Yeah. Because you both had, like, you know, the breakout song with, like, Buddy Holly, and then you guys had Popular. But other yeah. than that, I didn't see it. I, it just, yeah. you know, it was a quartet and whatever. Um, I know you spoke about this a lot, but uh, how did the whole Rick Ocasek one come about? Oh, yeah. Well, so um, um, we were sitting on this version of High-Low that we'd recorded for... Um, a label in Spain and it didn't work out in the end. They wanted it, they wanted worldwide rights to it, but only had Spanish distribution. And even though we were super young, actually we weren't very young, we were 27, 28, but in, but in terms of experience, we were super young. Um, we still could realize that that was probably a bad idea. Um, so they, they were firm about it. They're like, it's the world or nothing. And, and so we're like, well, sorry. So we're just sitting on it. And uh, I took the subway um, in New York and Mitch Easter was sitting mm. like 10 feet away. Um, Mitch Easter, if, if uh, a listener, if you, don't, if you don't know, not only was he the main man of this incredible group called Let's Active, but he was a great producer and notably making, uh, producing the first two REM albums. Um, so anyway, a great person to give a record to. Right. Uh, and I was too shy. I didn't do it. And I was kicking myself just minutes later, getting off the subway. I was like, man, do not, do not not do that again, you know? Um, and a couple of weeks later, I saw Rick Ocasek walking into a club I was leaving, the knitting factory. Um, I love the cars, absolutely adored them. Um, my older sister had all the records and, uh, and I thought the Weezer record sounded incredible. Um, so I went up to him and he was super nice, you know, he's super, super friendly and warm, you know, and uh, I gave him a cassette and I never expected to hear from him. I, you know, the expression, I went out to dinner on that. So I, I, yeah. I, I went out to dinner on that story for a couple of weeks but you know just telling friends like you'll right. never believe i gave a tape to but then unbelievably one day i came home and my roommate was like you should listen to the answering machine I was like, Why? <laughs> and here was this message from him so i went over to his house and um he was so nice you know i sat and had coffee with him and with paulina who's super friendly and down to earth too and then after a while, just chit-chatting, we went down into a studio and he sat down and said, so, you know, we sat on the sofa together and he's like, so what is this tape? And I said, well, it's this record, you know, and we, we don't know what to do with it. And he said, well, you could put it out as is, it's really good. 
um, which is great to hear, obviously. Right, of course, yeah. You know, you know, you said really nice things, which I, I, I'll get back to. That, that, that was really significant uh, for me. But um, he said, you could put it out as is, but if you ever wanted to re-record these songs, I would love to produce it, and I'll be really cheap. And he said, do you have a record contract? He said, no, we don't. He said, <laughs> keep, keep my number. So um, the only thing I was going to get back to is that, like, uh, just this little moment when he's he's pouring the coffee and I'm sitting next to Paulina and she said um, he really likes your phrasing and just that little sentence hearing that very kind thing from her that he'd said uh, it was just a big deal because you know I wasn't particularly confident and that was the first person outside our circle who'd ever said anything like that right and actually nobody in our circle had said it either except i know clearly you know yeah. we wouldn't be playing together if the other guys didn't didn't like right it. right but it was just nice it was it was a really encouraging confidence uh building um you know confirmation it was really nice anyway um so yeah so a couple of weeks after that it seemed to be like every event uh, was two weeks after the previous one um a guy came up to us after a show, a guy called Bobby McCain, and said he worked at a label called Number Six. And I thought Number Six was definitely on my radar because they put out a Dean Wareham 45. And also, uh, especially, they'd um, put out a record by Unrest called uh, Imperial FFRR that was one of my favorites. Um, so that was the dream. That's what we wanted is some guy from a good indie label or, 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 or woman to come up to us after a show and, and say that. But um, he called us the next day. He called me the next day and said, I didn't tell you my day job is at Electra. And I gave your tape to a friend, Ben Weber, and Ben Weber took it to his boss. And uh, I'm saying Ben Weber's name because he's actually our manager now. Okay. Um, and a dear, a dear friend. But so Ben took it to his boss, an A&R guy there who wanted to see us the very next afternoon and offered us a deal on the spot, which we um, turned down and thought about it for, for a few weeks, but then eventually did take it. And, um, and then Rick made the record. So, I mean, when Rick, obviously his track record with the cars and he, at that point he was really a still great producer, Romeo void, I think like suicide, yes. a couple other, totally. a couple other exactly. great acts. How much did he like protect you guys from, you know, from yourselves pretty much being like, kind of like a novice band. Uh, that's exactly well that you phrased it just right that's exactly what happened is he protect us from ourselves um he didn't let us uh you know kind of protect us from being nervous he he encouraged us to use like the first or second take of everything um keep it fresh not worry about the mistakes as much as the the vibe you know and and the way it goes for a lot of bands you know the first or the second take is has something special um and then this is kind of the one of the clearest and main things, and I, and I, I apologize because I've probably told this story in so many interviews, but, um, you know, after recording every song, he would say, hey, would you just run in and do a scratch vocal, uh, listener to scratch vocals when you just sing it just so that it's there, but you're not like thinking this is the final performance, not like trying or whatever, you know, making a big deal of it. Um, and he said, we just sing a scratch vocal on this take, and I would do that. And he'd always say like, oh, just do one more. And I'd do one more. And then after whatever it was, a week, 10 days, um, I nervously said, Rick, is it is it time to 
sing the record is it time to do the vocals he's like you're done you did it already which was great i mean super super <laughs> slick yeah <laughs> Uh, kind of discreet it was uh great it was yeah totally protecting us from ourselves and also from the label to be honest you know because electra's a major and this was the tail end we didn't know it was the tail end but it turned out to be the tail end of the really uh commercial alternative era where like alternative bands were having really big hits so you know they were hoping for that and wanted to come down to the studio and, and he wouldn't let them. Smart. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah. And that was, that was great because, you know, maybe somebody else wouldn't have had the authority or whatever, or the gravitas to, to convince them not to come down. But he was like, yeah, no, no way. You guys stay out of here. Yeah. And plus he has that track record and, you know, yeah. he's very classic. So, yeah, he, you know, he can, he can, he can do that. Um, what was yeah. his uh, yeah, initial thoughts of popular? I don't know. I think he, I think he, I don't know. I, I guess he heard like, he heard three singles on that record. Um, it was popular and Zen brain. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess he liked it. Yeah. Okay. Was it easy for you to like, kind of memorize the lyrics? Everyone will appreciate it. You're so novel. What a good idea. 
just well, I tell you what was even hard. No, it wasn't easy to memorize them. But what was even harder was to dissociate my right hand. I'm a righty, so my right hand is my picking hand. Um, dissociate from talking. Like maybe that would be easy for a lot of people, but I, f I found it difficult. Um, so just a lot of time and a lot of practice. Right. And the, the video was shot in Bayonne High School, and people yeah. might not know that it's pretty popular high school for videos to get shot. Mariah Carey had a video shot there right. someday, right. and Jeremy, you know, by uh, Pearl Jam. So you're, you're. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think um, my bloody Valentine had a video shot there too. Really? No way. Yeah. I was so pretty, pretty people. good company. Yeah, that's cool. The background when you guys were performing on on the field were those like students. You mean the cheerleaders? The cheerleaders, the football players in the background. All, all, all students. That's, oh, all, that's awesome. That's the actual football team, and that was the actual cheerleading squad. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Have you seen the um, the pom pom squad uh, version? Because they did the same classroom and and the same team. Right. I mean, not kids anymore, but same. Yeah. Team. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Now the second album, Proximity Effect, I really love. I, I think it's I think it's fantastic. What was kind of the disconnect there with you guys, the record company, and just having an I don't know. I guess they thought there wasn't a slam dunk radio song on it, which I don't know. I thought Hyperspace would have been a great single. I, I'm with you on that. Uh, very, very kind of you to say. I, I think so too.
and it's it's certainly felt that way ever since. I mean, it's kind of a live favorite, and you can just see how people react, and and I can I can feel it in playing it, like it's not boring. Twenty seven, whatever, how many years later, um, twenty five. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe like I said about that closing window of a commercial alternative, I think maybe there was a desire from record companies to have something that was, it's not like it was a gimmicky time. I mean, in a way hits are very often kind of gimmicky and, and, and gimmick is a bad word. I shouldn't, I shouldn't use it cause I don't mean it pejoratively at all, but you know, a lot of hit songs have this, you know, something peculiar about them, ideally, hopefully. Right. You know, whatever it is, like uh, Rihanna Umbrella being like Ella, Ella, Ella. What you know, something. There's some kind of idiosyncratic, unique, standout thing, and maybe whatever songs would have been that. And 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 listener, I'm sorry, it's getting kind of businessy. It's kind of, it's kind of boring and musical. Well, except that you did ask me a question. I did, yeah. So it's I, should, I shouldn't yeah. be embarrassed about that. Um, no, definitely not. Yeah, I feel like you know maybe hyperspace didn't have anything idiosyncratic about it it's just a just a rocking you know rocking song um i don't know so they asked us to basically it came out in europe uh and was going great i must right. say it was absolutely fantastic the press was awesome um the shows were awesome uh a lot of enthusiasm it was selling everything you know what you want to happen um but in the states they said let's hold off on releasing it why don't you guys go back in the studio and we didn't have any more original songs and they said why don't you record some covers i'm like all right and so there was a song by this band called vitreous humor um i think they're from lawrence kansas i should know that um who are great and the song called why are you so mean to me which was great um, and we did a version of it. Um, our version is not as good as the original. Mm. I couldn't quite hit this particular high note and we dropped it by, uh, by a whole tone. That's two frets on the guitar and, um, it's not as great. Uh, whatever. And it's possible that our hearts weren't really in it. And we did a song by the DBs called black and white, which is an incredible song. Also, right, yeah. not as good as the original. <laughs> um, but so they test marketed that song. Why are you so mean to me? And, and the jargon of the era, maybe this is still jargon was it's, it didn't <laughs> get good. Phone, didn't get good phones. Um, meaning it didn't it test market well on the phone, uh, on phones. So, um, yeah, then they decided to, to not put it out. I mean, it's surprising. I don't think they would have lost their shirts on that record though. I will say it was very expensive to make. <laughs> that was a pricey, album and i think part of that it might partially be my fault because um i had a feeling this was it i didn't think i didn't think we'd have a long ride there okay and i i, I mean i daniel says that i said these kinds of things so i don't exactly remember but but i must have and i think i was like doesn't matter what we spend you know and also we may never get a chance to do this again right um so a lot of it was recorded at the power station in new york and then we move the whole operation out to, to Los Angeles, to um, Palindrome, um, which was also called Ideal Recording. Uh, so it's a place that Michael Beinhorn had put together with some money from um, Tuesday 
Tuesday Night Music Club, is that a Sheryl Crow record? Um, and Fred Marr was friends with him and worked there a lot. And Fred Marr was the producer of the Proximity Effect. And uh, we worked with him, really, it's mostly because he made the first Luna record, Luna Park, okay. that I really loved. Um, but famously, he was um, Lou Reed's drummer at 17 and then produced New York, the Lou Reed record. And the other really notable thing that he did is he was the drummer and producer of Girlfriend, the Matthew Sweet record. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, so we're working with him and he wanted to go out there. So, so yeah, so we, you know, two different studios, um, mastered by Bob Ludwig at Gateway. Um, you know, it was a pricey record. So that, the only reason I said that is because I wonder if some labels are like, we spent so much on this, if it's not going to be a guaranteed hit, we're going to cut our losses and not spend any more by releasing it or promoting it or whatever, making any videos or whatever. Which I always find to be comical. I mean, you already put the effort and money into it. You might as well see if you can get some returns out of it. Yeah, and right. And also, like, un- unfortunately, um, but I mean, that that's the reality of of, uh, of business and, and, um, and capitalism, which I'm not against. I'm not against capitalism. Uh, I just think all the rules should be obeyed. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, when people are going to like want to tear down the system, like I understand that, except that if that if there were, if companies paid taxes and, and regulators were allowed to regulate, et cetera, uh, capitalism would be a lot less. I mean, if you could iron the corruption out of it, but of course that's that's pie in the sky since we we, we seem to love corruption. Um, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, I don't get the like, if it's not an instant smash we're not going to put it out if we don't think it's going to be an instant smash we're not going to put it out like clearly that record would not have lost money in the long run there's no way um we're still selling copies of it our tiny way so it would still sell yeah yeah now usually like a band would get like a third album with with the label they'd say okay the second album all right fail but they would like all right this is it the third album whereas that would be nice yeah it it would be nice but i'm sure and I think you're right that it, it it did used to be more like that for sure. I mean, when you look at track records of like, or the trajectories of, of bands from the 60s, 70s and 80s, it's like people had a lot more patience then it seemed like their first five records didn't do great. And then they hit pay dirt on number six, you know. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. But I just want to sing out a couple of songs from Proximity Effect that I absolutely yeah, yeah, love. Yeah. Um, Mother's Day, which, which is uh-huh. great. And I, I love the line on your Star Wars sheets, you set the scene. Was she just seducing you, or did she want to scream? Yeah. Now I love that song, and maybe because I'm a also a Star Wars freak as well, and had Star Wars sheets mm-hmm. back when I was younger. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the background behind that song. What 
you think you're such a hottie But her body afraid It's not a sexual body What do you see when you look at a girl? Is she a game you want to win? If no one was looking What would you do to get in? Everybody's been laughed out and Everybody's been left out but It's no excuse to turn it around No boy has the right to hold the girl down What if they did that to your sister? What if they did that to your mother? What if they did that to your sister? It's a combination of two things. One was that um, we felt a lot of pressure. I felt a lot of pressure uh, when making the proximity effect to, again, I'm sorry, in this podcast, the word hit has come up so many times because <laughs> it's really, it's kind of a word I dislike because it, right. I mean, I like it once you're talking about reality in the radio, but when it's before a record is made, that 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 is a word that just doesn't help anybody. Um, but anyway, I knew I was supposed to do that. And in fact, I remember running into John Flansburg from They Might Be Giants who lived in the same neighborhood, super, super great guy, like total awesome dude. Um, running him down the street one morning, he's like, what are you up to? I said, you know, writing songs for the second record. He's like, you better be getting up early and drinking a lot of coffee, get that done, you know, or, or <laughs> do the best you can or whatever. Um, which I remember did make me work a little harder because I really respect him. Um, but I was like, I wouldn't have this feeling now, but then I was like, um, what is it? I guess I felt gross about it or something, which is so dumb. Something about the commerciality of, of, of trying on purpose to write something that was going to be successful. Now, of course, like that's, that's awesome. You know, right. if, you, if you make an apple pie, you want to make an apple pie people that, that, that you really think is really good and that you're really proud of. I mean, what's, what's wrong with trying, you know, anyway, um, something about it was making me uncomfortable. And I guess I thought if I try and, uh, in quotes, I don't know why it's in quotes, but if I try to do something good 
or useful. It'll me make me feel less uh, icky about trying to have a commercial success. So I thought, well, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do that could help something or somebody? And it happened to be that um, very sadly, uh, sadly because of the big picture of this, um, I had had more than one uh, girlfriend who had had uh, an experience with uh, sexual violence in their past. Mm. Um, so I'd heard a few stories um, firsthand. And, um, and also with one uh, girlfriend of mine, I'd gone to Take Back the Night. Um, that's an event that was at, it was, it was at Barnard College, but I, you know, I, mean, I think it's been in a lot of cities and a lot of campuses. Yeah. And that's when um, a number of women and, and, and friends, uh, friends of theirs, um, victims and friend of victims and women and men uh, would, you know, go in this march and then end up at a spot where there'd be a, you know, a, a stage and a microphone and young women got up and, and told their stories. And it was, you know, totally, it's not that it was eye opening, my eyes were already open to the reality, but it was just eye widening, I guess. Um, and what really struck me is that a lot of these young women telling these stories of being raped or date raped, you know, um, were telling them for the first time, which made me think, well, if, if those are being told for the first time, like how, how many of these stories have not been told and how many right. people did not did not go to the authorities. Anyway, that's a, a long way of saying I felt like, um, you know, being a male voice trying to make some, uh, I mean, I don't know what else to do, but be damning, really. That's the only thing I could think to do. Um, Robot is the same song in a way, but it's the one that's less social experiment and more just straight ahead song I just I was just ex expressing something uh, whereas with with um, uh, Mother's Day I was thinking more conceptually like okay well if this was a hit song uh, and you want to appeal to possibly aggro dudes then it should be aggro music so mm. there was that riff and the kind of approach to that song and then what do I say to this person and you know in hindsight i don't know if it was a I, I don't know if that would be the right thing to say to that person that you know it's hard to say what's going to get through to somebody or make them contemplate themselves or, or be open to change be open to admitting uh what they do or want to do and why and you know anyway sorry i've said said, said a lot about that i don't know that's quite all right but is it kind of like ironic with like songs would have really like tough topics and they have a like kind of catchy music to kind of like, you know, bring people in? Is that kind of like important? Like you don't want to have like kind of, you know, sad, impactful, kind of disturbing lyrics when you have like kind of like dreary music to set to it. Right. Well, I guess. um how contra I, I, right is it, maybe it's a question of how contradictory is it like if it's contradictory in a mood way where the where the lyrical impact is being uh, undone by the music um or if it's like 
makes one seem disingenuous, you know? I, yeah, sure, it'd be... All, all I can think of is the opposite. And again, this is also something I've said in a lot of interviews, but um, it's an example I, I think is notable, is uh, um, the Beatles song, Every Little Thing, is really striking because the lyrics are totally straight ahead happy when I'm with her, when she's walking beside me, um, you know, I'm happy and I know I'm a lucky guy or however it goes, you know, it's completely uh, rainbows and sunshine, but the melody is so uh, aching that I, I love it because I feel like the melody is telling you that he knows that what he's saying isn't true or that he's, he's, he's making an effort to be positive when in fact he's full of doubts. Um, anyway, that's, that's yeah. all I've got to say about the contrast of music and lyrics, but yeah, it's, it's certainly right. interesting. And I bet there are some examples of like super happy music with devastating lyrics. Yeah. I guess one of the most popular ones is probably like modern English is I melt with you when it's about nuclear war and it just sounds very popular. And is that what it's about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I never, you know, I, I, I'd never heard more than the top layer of it, you know. I right. Know, like, yeah. Know, so, wow, I'll go back and yeah, to it. it'll totally change your, you know, opinion of the song. Not an opinion, but like, I guess, you know, open your eyes to yeah, it. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Another one on there is 80 Windows, which I absolutely uh -huh. love.
what can I tell you about that? Well, um, yeah, that's like a relationship song, and um, it's like the the chorus, the moon is closer to the sun than I am to anyone, is really specifically about uh, that feeling you can have um, in a relationship if if you're not if your connection is effed up, you know, um, whatever it is, you know, one, one of you is having doubts, one of you wants to leave, or there's like, or, or, or there's suspicion or got, you know, anger, jealousy, whatever it is, you know, and, and this physical sensation, which I think you can have in, you know, on, a, on, on chairs or on a sofa, but particularly lying in bed, you know, if you're, if you're lying, trying to fall asleep, two feet away from somebody and feeling distant from them or disconnected or something's not working. It's, it's wild how in that, um, I don't know if I use this word right, but that in that liminal space, uh, the liminal space between um, being awake and asleep, you know, that, that gray area when you're kind of maybe drifting off, maybe not, you know, when, when with your eyes closed, you're sort of floating in an enormous something see space you know in an enormous place uh and that person two feet away from you can feel hundreds or thousands of miles away from you mm. and i was having that that feeling of feeling like another planet from a from a the person i was next next to and and that, so that brought that image of of the moon and, and the sun being far from each other right yeah now there was a kind of a, a few year gap between that album and the next one, Let Go, which mm -hmm. I think everyone thinks that's probably the band's best album. I, I love it as well. Now, now during that stretch, was there a point when you thought that it was over for you guys? No, the point that we thought it was over for us guys lasted about three minutes or okay. something. And that was when I remember Daniel was over at my apartment and we just gotten, I just gotten off the phone with somebody at Electra and we, they had just told us, or it was our manager, I don't remember. Someone had just told us that record's not coming out. And we were shocked <laughs> just for the reasons that you and I were talking about 15 minutes ago. It's right. Like, okay. You don't think it's going to be a smash. Okay. But you're still going to put it out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when they weren't going to put it out, we definitely had a couple of minutes of like, Oh my God, like maybe we should, break up the band form another one i don't know do something else but it didn't last because the fact is we love being in the band and right. the shows were always great it's always been great i'm sorry i'm not saying the shows have been great the audiences have always been great and our experience playing the shows has always always been great from the very beginning to now it's never changed like it feels good um and uh so anyway, so yeah, no, we didn't, we didn't give up. And also like there was a period where we weren't very busy. That's true. We were, Electra held on to that record for a little while. So we couldn't, we put it out independent, the proximity effect, we put out independently ourselves eventually, but it wasn't like the next month. Like it, it took a little while um, for them to let go of it. And then when they did, then we, you know, started our own little imprint and, and put it out and, and toured and stuff. Um, and we were in no, whatever, we we're in no hurry. Cause I, I mean, there was nobody else, there was nobody else's schedule. And so we took our time, 
you know, not on purpose, but it's just how it happened. Like, um, and it was a super luxurious period for me. It was one of the best times of my life, really, because I, I knew I knew the band would probably get busy again. I knew it definitely had potential. I knew that it, that it might go somewhere, and so I wouldn't have felt right pursuing another career. So um, I just worked at my uh, local record store, which is great. I mean, anyone who has worked in a record store knows that that is, if you're a music lover, that is a dreamy job. Right. You're with, you're with other music lovers um, and you're listening to music all day and talking about music all day. And, and, and people in record stores, I think, like people who come to shows, uh, want to be there. It, right. is a, it is a voluntary activity. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're seeing people uh, happy, uh, which is great. Um, you know, and uh, my rent was really cheap. I went to a lot of shows and spent all my spare time at home just tinkering with my four track and, you know, writing. Um, so it was great. You know, really, really good. Very low pressure. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, no, no real thoughts of breaking up. Oh, good. Okay. When you're working at the record store, did you kind of like, kind of pedal your, uh, your first album a little bit? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. I don't think we didn't carry it. Uh, okay. We did carry the we did carry the proximity effects. Okay. Came so but, you, and you know what's funny is that once in a while somebody would be like, "Hey, aren't you?" Or it would come up or whatever. And, right. and there were moments when I kind of forgot. I'd kind of forgotten. Like, oh, I have this <laughs> other non-record store career that uh, might might do something someday. You know. Yeah, I just got so used to my day to day life that some, sometimes I would kind of forget. Right, right. <laughs> With Let Go, I mean, there are so many great songs on there. Um, Inside of Love.
which I mean, it was in a lot, featured in some movies, TV shows. It was a show, Wonderfalls, that it was in. I absolutely loved that show. It was, you know, short lived, but um, also it was in One Tree Hill, I think, and a couple mm-hmm. of things. But uh, Paper Boats, I really, really mm-hmm. enjoyed that song. And I, oh, yeah, I live in Connecticut, but originally from, you know, Queens, but I would commute every day and it would take the subway. So yeah. I, I definitely, you know, can relate to the um, express train passing the local line <laughs> in there because it was definitely on the uh, six train that I would take. Yeah, that's would, right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so that, that was that was a great album. Um, what were some of your, your, like, favorites from that? Oh, um, Blizzard 77. Oh, okay. Probably, uh, just it was, I was a big Elliott Smith fan. Mm-hmm. Um so I, th- I think that's probably why I had a guitar detuned, you know, because he played in drop full drop D. Uh, if if you're a non-guitarist, what it is, it means that he, all the strings are one step lower, one step being do, re, mi, from do to mi. Hmm. Uh, is that right? No, no, from do to re, actually. That's okay. Like do, re, so just that. Yeah. Um, all tuned down that much. So just a little lower, a little looser. Um, and I was sharing a hotel room in Amsterdam with Daniel and he was asleep and, uh, I had this idea and went and wrote it in the, in the bathroom, mm-hmm. which kind of kept it kind of quiet. That's sort of what kept it an acoustic song. Cause it just felt like a quiet song. on the snow and then later tripping in 7-eleven the shells were stretching out of control on a plane ride the more it shakes the more i have to let go now the signals still getting all mixed up we're always doing damage control but in the middle of the night I worry it's blurry even without light In the middle of the night I worry it's blurry even without light I know I have got a negative edge That's why I sharpen all the others a lot It's like flowers or ladybugs Pretty weeds or red with dots but in the middle of the night I worry it's blurry even without light in the middle of the night I worry it's blurry even without light I, I, I miss you more than I knew I miss you more than I knew I miss you more than I knew Um, what else? I don't know on that record. I, I, I'm really, I'm fond of that record. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like all those songs. Uh, I'm trying to think of particular... 
I mean, inside of love, you know, I remember very clearly, I remember writing it clearly because, you know, some songs are fast, some are slow and some come in parts. And that one, I, I had that verse all figured out, but I, I just didn't know what, what chorus would, what was the answer, you know, or what was the, what was the big picture? What was the, what was right. the, the payoff exactly? But, you know, the way songs are a lot, you know, you have, it's like, uh, I don't know, I'm making this up on the spot, Bonnie, but, but like the verse is like the supporting evidence and, and the chorus is like the case. Right. You know, and uh, so I had this supporting evidence and what, what's, what's the, what's the story? Uh, and what am I really trying to say? What am I sniffing around with the, with the verse? And I remember being in McCarran Park, which is the, the, not like Central Park, it's not a big leafy park, but it's got a, 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 some trees and like a track to run around. Anyways, near my um, apartment in, in Brooklyn. Um, and I remember being in the park as like a crowded Saturday, but all of a sudden I could, I could hear the chorus and I knew what I wanted to, I, you know, I finally figured out that what I was trying to express was that like love was a place mm. that seemed often that it had a locked gate, you know, and then I, I couldn't, couldn't get in like, 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 a like if there was a Charles Adams cartoon of somebody trying to get into a zoo, you know, right. you know all fancy a gate, you know, <laughs> gate doors. Um, and, I, and so the image finally clicked and, and the idea of being outside it and wanting to be inside it, like that was it. And I remember having this feeling like I, I might not be able to remember this or hold on to this image so clearly. So I ran home. It was like five or six blocks crowded. A lot of people going towards the park uh, with coolers and stuff because it's a beautiful day. So I'm like swimming upstream against traffic, you know, just weaving in and out, running home because I, I wanted to get it down. So I, I'm, I'm very happy that, that it worked out. That right. Yeah. Good that you never, you know, like short-term memory loss or whatnot. Right, or be like, whatever, I'll remember that later, get a hot dog. Yeah, exactly. And that was obviously before having, like, a cell phone where you can just... Yeah, oh, yeah. ...up in the notes yeah. section, and, you know, you have That's it right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Has your songwriting process changed, like, over the years? Uh, mm, no. I mean, it's a bit more... I'm in more normal hours because I'm a, a, a family person, you know, have a six-year-old, and... um so there isn't any more just staying up all night doing it. Although, I mean, I will stay up late sometimes, but I really regret it right? because I have to get up at seven uh, to get, get, get ready for school. So yep. um, there's no sleeping till noon anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but you know, that's okay. That's good. It's good. It's a new, new stage of life. So there's a new, not a surf record being mixed right now. Um, okay. And for a lot of those, most of the songs on this record I wrote at like 5 a.m. because um, I, a couple of reasons, just like the, the piece of the early morning before anybody gets up. And also, uh, like a lot of people, uh, I have an inner critic. Um, and like for a lot of people, my inner critic is particularly, uh, uh, has a trigger finger and will shoot stuff down really fast. And um, that's that's hard, you know. It's hard. It's hard to get around that, um, and it's hard to f sometimes feel free around that. But I noticed 
that if I got up really early, um, this will sound corny, but it's it's really true, is that it feels like my inner critic is asleep. Um, and I feel much freer and will write anything down. It's not that anything, I don't mean it's gobbledygook. I mean, like, I'll pursue an idea and not, and I'll see it through, um, not a whole song necessarily, but like a whole little paragraph, you know, if, like, fleshing out an idea i'll see it through before deciding prematurely that it's not any good um so that's really good and i think part of that is because the concept of wasted time which is um i find so uh so damaging um and i worry about it all the time i constantly think i've wasted time and oh my right. god it's, you know once i get going on something I'm like jesus why didn't i start four hours ago you know always beating myself up What's so great about the early, early, early morning is that there's no such thing as wasted time because the day hasn't even started. It's all free. Right. All, you're, 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 you know, it's not on credit. It's just abundantly there to be used. Yeah, I've I've wasted plenty of time, which is, you know, unfortunate. You just try to uh, deal with it. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's tough sometimes. It, 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 it is, it, for sure. For sure. And it's, of, of course, of course, it feels like worrying about wasted time is a waste of time. And, and that's, it's just like when you <laughs> don't have much time to sleep, but then you can't fall asleep because you're worried about how tired you're going to be. Oh, my yep. God. We're so dumb. I know. <laughs> yep. That's pretty much me every night. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, the the follow-up um, that had Always Love, which absolutely, it's a fantastic song, very inspiring as well. Um, background behind that one? To make a mountain of your life is just a choice But I never learned enough to listen to the voice that told me Always love, hate will get you every time Always love, don't wait till the finish
That was um, um, I was having a kind of a conflict uh, with somebody, and you know there was some like resentment and anger and stuff, and it not, didn't feel good. I hate fighting, you know. I'm, I'm yeah. super non-confrontational, um, but anyway, that was making me sad. Um, but uh, Ira came over. We were gonna just like kick some ideas around. Um, it was a beautiful day. Like the, you know, you're Connecticut, right? So like a, a truly beautiful Northeast spring day right. can, can like change your mood completely. Almost bring a, bring a happy tear to your eye. I mean, <laughs> when it's a, a beautiful, a beautiful day is, is, is stunning. And you know, that perfect, like cool, warm, fresh smelling air was blowing in the apartment. And, uh, and I was just so happy um, for that, for physical reasons, um, that it, you know, so it kind of gave me some context to see what a waste of time this anger was and how I should really just find the most positive part of myself and try and get through it and solve this conflict and, you know, meet in the middle, just somehow, you know, try and try and understand how much you can have in common with somebody, even if you're in, in conflict, you know, all that kind of positive stuff. And um, so that song really felt like a letter to a future self, because I knew this was a temporary feeling, but if I could bottle it. Right. And so that's kind of what the song was, you know, like a, like, like a paper airplane to my future or something. I was right. scribble down these words and throw it out the window. And hopefully on a future day when I was feeling negative, uh, I'd open a window and this paper airplane would, Okay. from the past and remind me to uh to be more loving has has that worked for you though kind of okay. i mean you know what it totally has especially because i've had the joy of um singing that song on stage hundreds of times to people who are also singing it and so it's this kind of like positivity uh right. generating moment um that i've had again and again and again it's been amazing right yeah. Yeah. And you released an amazing covers album, If I Have a Wi Fi. And I, I, I recently saw our Depeche Mode in concert, and I, I absolutely love your cover of oh, the Silence. You. And I, I like covers that are uh, different from the original. You know, when it's like in a basically remaking Psycho scene by scene, like what's the point? Yeah. And like, that cover is great. And also, one of my favorite Kate Bush songs, Love and Anger. And oh, you can, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Hit a home run with that one as well. Inside me, so deep 
That's my favorite track on that album, um, uh, our cover of Love and Anger, but also Love and Anger is my favorite track on the right. <laughs> yeah. Central World as well. Oh, I'm, really I'm really glad you like that. I mean, that, you know, um, for what it's worth, I, I really also like covers that change it, but most of the time we've made covers, or I've, on my own at home, I've made yeah. very faithful covers, um, not going out of their way to be faithful, but that you know since i was like 13 what i've loved about playing somebody else's song is just the fantasy ride of it it's like it's like a roller coaster that you get on where you get to be in the who or you get to be the ramones or you get to be mm -hmm. the beatles and you get to go on that ride mm -hmm. and have that experience as if you'd written it as if that was your record you know um and the central the love and anger um that's just me trying to just do that song faithfully right. uh, but but of course I, you know i'm totally not kate bush so it does so it comes <laughs> out different um but in the in the case of um uh enjoy the silence that was really fun because i i, I was i was driving a car and that song came on the radio and i was like god it's so great and i started singing to myself and i and I, my my apologies to depeche mode and my apologies to depeche mode fans but the only part I didn't connect to on that song was that opening melody. Na, 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 right. Whatever. I couldn't think of it. Like it just that <laughs> and so I've flattened it out, just ironed it out and ironed out the chorus as well. And it was so much fun writing it. Oh, I didn't write it, but yeah. <laughs> whatever. Coming up with the version because I hadn't done that before. I'd play, I'd, I'd made what what 
you know, in terms of like changing, I'd made very boring and very safe covers forever. And here finally it was transformed into something else. Yeah. I was excited and also kind of nervous about it. Oh my God, am I breaking the law? I'm like rewriting the melody. What kind of reaction did you get from that album? Really good. Yeah. yeah. yeah people seem to dig it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was probably kind of a stopgap. Probably, I think, you know, maybe I was having writer's block, like just, mm. you know, we're, we're moving too slow, which I definitely do sometimes, you know. And so it might have been that, like, our manager and, and us were probably like, well, shit, we don't have a new record. We got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed making that. Right. And then you had another. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Our, uh, just to say, no, no, no. Um, our, it's also our, our keyboard player, Louis Lino. Um, we love working with so much. I mean, now, now, now he's our keyboard player, but at the time was just playing with us sometimes. But um, 
he had a new studio that he built in Austin, Texas. And um, we really love working with him. So making that covers record was kind of also an excuse to go down. To- right. Difficult topic, politics and, um, you know, how dysfunctional <laughs> it, it is here in the States and being overseas kind of looking and from from afar, but obviously being very connected into it. And you had a song, Song for Congress. And mm-hmm. it seems like the dysfunction in politics, especially in Washington, I don't think is ever going to change. It just seems to be getting worse by the day. Was that kind of like your inspiration for that song?
Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was the family separations at the border. It was really what did it of, of, um, of uh, Mexican immigrant families, uh, and you know, feeling just really distressed about it, and calling my Congress people um, and leaving messages. And and then it, again, it's like back with Mother's Day. Like, what can, what can I do that's useful? And Song for Congress came about like that. Like thinking, what can I do useful? Well, what do I do? I write songs sometimes and sing them. So, what would I sing to a Congressperson if I was in their office? Um, and that's how that came about. Um, yeah, uh, I hear you that maybe it's never gonna change. Um, I have nothing smart to say, but a lot of people have a lot of smart things to say and, and a lot of it um, seems to revolve around how communication is changing and how information, the way it's spread is changing and the, the speed of, uh, of information spreading and the speed of people um, reacting and the commentariat, you've heard that term, commentariat, like just the, the people who comment. Right. Um, and how, I, I have this very, I have this corny, naive thought, which I have very often, which is about um, how important creativity is because, and how important um, art programs, uh, music, sculpture, painting, whatever, dance uh, programs in schools are, because if, if people get to, I think if people get to be creative, um, it helps them with their sense of identity. And if they have a solid sense of identity, then they might not feel like they're reaching for, that they need to reach and adopt some other identity. And I'm, I'm so afraid of, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's Q or whether it's uh, the big lie, um, you know, election uh, conspiracy theories, right. et cetera, deep state, all this stuff, you know, how, how much of the adoption of these uh, views comes down to somebody lacking a sense of identity and, and needing to put on some kind of robe or, or outfit, you know, put on some kind of, take up some mantle because they don't, maybe don't know who they are so much, you know. Um, yeah, I got nothing smart to say about it. It's, it's awful and the state of things right now is awful and uh i'm um very sad about it and there are a couple of uh terrible wars uh going on right now um don't know don't know you know try to be positive in your every, everyday life or helpful or, or or and and just uh check your anger you know i i, I feel like anger and hatred is like the genie you can't put back in the bottle a lot, you know, and, and, and it gets out and then it, it, it catches on and we can't take it back. And, you know, it's terrible. And I feel like there are a lot of positive things about social media, but yeah. a lot of negatives. And, and I think that everyone hides behind like a keyboard then yeah. Yeah. to their face and you can't have a decent conversation one way or the other. I might, and I agree with someone's politics, but you can't have that conversation anymore. You can't yeah, be, yeah. And what, stay and the what other is, side of the aisle anymore. What, and what is lacking in that person's life or community that is causing them to need 
to to have the satisfaction of lashing out like what why why doesn't lashing out feel more alien to people why why does it come so easily that's very worrying absolutely that kind of segues into a song that i really enjoy live learn and forget uh, um yeah now the background for that one I think I started writing it when I was working on the Minor Alps record with Julian Hatfield. Right. Uh, I remember one of the tapes I had of that period. Um, yeah, well, it's just the, the frustration of, of uh, realizing, or it, it, the frustration of like learning a lesson and being like, oh yeah, I learned this one before. I just forgot and blew it again and relearned the lesson and, and, and that, and just seeing that cycle in myself or around of like living and learning and forgetting and then having to live again, live and learn again and make the mistake again. And, and um, what do you do? What do you do? <laughs> right. <laughs> like short circuit that, uh, sorry, or, or fix that short circuit, whatever. Yeah. I don't know how, what to do mm. with that metaphor, but yeah, how do you get away from that? How do you, there's this expression, I keep on meaning to turn it into a, a song title or album title or, or a lyric or whatever, whatever. I don't, I hope I do one day, but it's basically like, if I knew now what I know now, you know, when we're always like, if I knew then what I know, I know now, now. right. Go back to kindergarten, but have the brains you have now, whatever. Of course. But if only I could have the brains I have now, 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 right. Like, <laughs> like if we could access, because somewhere in you, you know, as you're like, blowing it or making x mistake again like yeah. clearly the knowledge to not do that yeah exactly not waste that time or to not you know whatever it is is in your brain yeah just in a trunk right exactly <laughs> right you know, keep your good shit out put exactly. your bad shit in the trunk and get a buy a big long table in your brain and lay <laughs> out all the good stuff so get some desk lamps around yeah and light exactly <laughs> comfortable chairs you can sit at different areas of the table like easy access where my, where my best instincts let me keep them keep them on display yeah. right <laughs> exactly and sometimes at that moment you can't find the key to open no. drunk <laughs> no it's good it's, 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 
You know what your key, you know what I found, here's a living and learning and forgetting thing, is that usually when I can't find my keys, they're usually under my bag on a bed or on a table or on, you know, it's like I right. put my keys down and then I put my bag down and yeah. my coat down and they're covering the keys. They're exactly. Very under there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why it's so important, I guess, to have duplicates. Yes, 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 yes. And I'm so glad you mentioned Minor Albs because I I, I, lo I love the, the project you and Juliana did. And Thank uh, you. Thank yeah, you. I guess, did it kind of start with I Want to Take You Home from the B-Sides album? Yeah, it did. It did. It started with that. And uh, I sang on her song, A Beautiful Girl, um, on How to Walk Away. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that, and I think there was one other song I sang Harmony on. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. that I can't remember. What happened was that we, you know, mutual fans, though me first, you know, I was, right. a, I was a fan, of, uh, big fan of Blake Babies before I put out any records. Um, so uh, I'd gone into the studio when she was making her record and sang a bit. She came and um, sang on I Want to Take You Home. But the genesis of the band is actually that she was playing a show in New York and asked if I would come up on stage and sing a couple of the harmonies okay. from from the record. And so we needed to practice them. So she grabbed an electric guitar and we went down into the stairwell of this club. I can't remember where, where it was. Um, Joe's pub maybe. Um, <laughs> and you know, you know, an electric guitar even not plugged in makes a little bit of noise and particularly if you're somewhere quiet like the stairwell at the bottom of the building. So we went over the songs and the thing is we'd never sung together. Okay. And when we sang together, we were immediately, both of us, like, hey, that's a great combination. That's really good. And not only did we love harmonizing, but, and this is a particular thing, is that we really enjoyed singing in unison, singing the same note. And singing in unison with somebody is, is usually pretty hard because they're singing the same note you're singing. So what you're hearing yourself do uh, can be confused with what they're doing and you need to hear yourself so that you can adjust and so that you can, oh, you know, can, you can drive, you know, flat right. or sharp, you know, find the middle and stay in the middle uh, of, of the right note. Um, so it can be hard to sing with somebody else, but there's something about our two voices that we managed to both hear through them or th hear through the other person. Uh, I don't know what, it's the sonic quality of the two. They kind of match up in a way that, makes singing the same note really easy anyway so this is a very long-winded way of saying <laughs> that the sound in that stairwell made us think we should make a record right yeah that yeah that was definitely a great choice so, yeah thanks, thanks. yeah right and i'll leave you with this do you remember where you were the first time you heard i guess would be popular on the radio yeah, we were. Uh, I was with the band, and we were in a van, and we were heading to. I don't remember. Maybe we were playing a show at Wetlands or something. And uh, our first record was a long way from coming out. That song, un unfortunately, ended up on the radio far, way ahead of the record being in stores, right. which is not exactly what you want to happen, <laughs> but it did. Because uh, it was on a little CMJ compilation, and then all of a sudden was on K Rock. And anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, so heard it in the van. We freaked out. It was so much fun. Right. Such a happy, surreal moment. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. But Matthew, I, I can't wait to hear the new album. Uh, any idea when it's coming out? Uh, I, do, I don't know. I, okay. I can never 
never predict these things, but but it, it is getting finished, and I, I'm I'm very psyched, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Oh, that's great, and thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. All the best. And a special thanks to Matthew for joining me today. You can follow the band on X, formerly Twitter, at NanaSurf. Their website is nanaserve.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on X, formerly Twitter, at the first Noel 19 or like the page, really, my youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate me for the show. If you don't have iTunes, not a problem. Show can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music. A new episode will come out soon. Happy holidays, everyone.